This is our conversation about the second week of Lent. It's wonderful to be into Lent this far, but it's a good time to review where we are. Um, don't you think this is a wise place to stop and look back and review our Lenten plan? Well, yes, because we have, on Ash Wednesday, maybe in the days leading up to Ash Wednesday, we thought about it, prayed about how we want this Lent to be different. Now we're two weeks into it. And how is it going? Is it? Uh, you know, we might have said, I want to increase my prayer. Has that been happening? I want to read fruitful? the scripture readings every day. Have I, have I gotten up a little early to take the time to do something like that? I might have had in my mind that I was going to examine myself and take advantage of this as a season of God's gift and and examine my conscience and look at the ways in which I have uh, a need to change some patterns. And I haven't done that yet. I might have said to myself that I wanted to fast more, to lean myself up a bit. To be more alert. And, and maybe I'm not as alert as I want to be or still in the back of my mind, well, I wanted to have less distractions. I wanted to watch less TV or I wanted to be at the computer less, surfing Abstain the Internet. whatever got in my way. Yeah, whatever's getting in the way of my relationship, and I haven't really started that yet. Or I may have made a commitment, even had a plan for how I was going to do almsgiving. We were going to save some money by what we did, like not going out to eat once a week or something like that, and we haven't gotten around to it. So this is a great time to stop and look back, renew our plan, and say, I really want Lent to be a time of grace. God wants to give me something here, and I I need to do a few things. Uh, it's a good time to uh, say, maybe go to that online ministry site praying Lent and look at that daily prayer and just let that brief thing renew me. Or maybe it's just the weekly guide where I just look at that. Or maybe some of the supporting materials, you know, how do I setting my Lenten patterns and how is it I want to enter into Lent? Yeah, like it may be that that there needs to be a time of renewal and the, the resource there about relationships, <laughs> the kinds of things that talk about spring cleaning or looking at my marriage during Lent, those kind of or resources. Or how to be with my children in Lent, how to make symbols in our home, how to the things I'm still maybe a little shy about doing. Now's the time. Lent is not over. Lent can begin today. Exactly. So what we're going to talk about uh, now are the readings, which are just the treasury that the church gives us. These are... Uh, they go way back in our history. Some of these readings have been in place for since the earliest days of the church. On Tuesday of the second week of Lent, this is what we will read. And so many of them are like that, and it gives me such a sense of the history. I want to say, when I was a little girl, these would have been the same readings. And this that is the treasury mother, of those readings yeah, and, that our families have looked at. And uh, the great saints, Saint... Benedict was listening, St. Francis, St. Ignatius, St. Bernadette. They were all listening to all of these readings and being moved by them, the exact readings in Lent. Yes, and if nothing else, it's a time to slow down. That's God's mm-hmm. gift to us, to encourage us to do it, and we all 
we all need it. And it's not something to sit and feel guilty about. It's that God is offering us this gift, and we want to say thanks and use it. It's for us. So talk about Sunday. Sunday's readings are really wonderful, as they all are uh, during this part of Lent. But in these readings, God's revealing himself to us, um, particularly in the form of fire, as he's... Then this first reading is from Genesis, and uh, the Lord takes Abraham, Abram outside and says, Look at the stars. This is the pact he's making with Abram. He's saying, Count the stars in the sky. That is how numerous your children will be. And at this point, Abram has no children. His wife, Sarai, is unable to have children. And God is promising him there will be numerous, numerous children of Abraham. It's a wonderful moment, and so Abram takes these sacrifices, a, a goat and some birds, and he cuts them in half and puts them on either side of the altar and goes into kind of a trance, and there is a burning torch that comes down the middle between the two halves of all these sacrifices. It's fire. It reminds us of the numbers of ways that, that God comes to us as fire in other... So we begin by looking at God's ways God starts this covenant with his people this chosen people this gifted people the people he calls his own and promises outrageously that they're going to be blessed you be my people and I'll be your God and seals this covenant with a gift of his presence it reminds us all the way back so that when we come to Jesus, the fulfillment of that covenant, uh, we're reminded of it on this day as we begin the second week. And Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a mountain. We know what up on a mountain means. That's a special place of encounter with God. And he is transfigured. He looks differently. He reveals to them his glory to prepare them, as the preface says, for the Feast of the Transfiguration, to prepare them for the scandal of the cross, to show them who he is and how God's going to be wonderful in giving us this gift of new life in the resurrection. Who's there with him? Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets. And it's an overwhelming experience for them. Um, Peter says let's build some tents here some booths it's a reminder of the festival of the tents in Jewish history where they're celebrating the covenant they're celebrating the freedom from uh, from Egypt slavery the journey through the Sinai and then it becomes a harvest festival and it's and it's a wonderful celebration in the Jewish tradition because he knows something wonderful has happened. Uh, the scripture says subtly he didn't know what he was saying because this wasn't simply a celebration of the covenant. This was a new revelation. This was Jesus. something bigger than Peter could understand right then. That's right. And when they come down... Uh, Jesus is very cautious that they don't tell anybody about it because they'll get it wrong. He's not coming to be glorified here on earth. He's coming uh, 
to show them that he will suffer and die so as to enter into his glory. It's a marvelous, marvelous thing. You know, both of these stories, both in the uh, the Genesis reading and this one from Luke, the Gospel, they both fall asleep. They both go into some kind of a trance. I mean, all the Gospels, I mean, the apostles have fallen asleep when when God appears. A darkness comes down and covers everyone, and when it lifts, then... You know, something is revealed. And I just think how many times in our own lives does darkness come down and God is revealed in the middle of that darkness in some really hard things in our life. That's where we suddenly realize God really is there. So this Sunday, any day this week, can be a transfiguration. I don't see Jesus in glory. I don't look upon him as the fulfillment, as the one who will take away the mystery of suffering and death the power of sin that overshadows us sometimes. And so this week of Lent, in my house, in my world, with my job, with my family, with my moods, can be a transfiguration so that my eyes are opened. There's light in the midst of our darkness, and that increases our desire. That makes it easier for us to think about celebrating the Paschal Mystery with mind and heart renewed, as the first preface of Lent says. And we, we're not going to see God in a burning torch. We're not going to, a cloud will not come down. We won't see anything in dazzling white. But what everyday things are there where God's revealing himself to me? What people are there? What events, what things in my life are there where God is being revealed every day in my life? And when we start to get that sense of wonder and awe, uh, the bigness of this, that what God's trying to do... Um, it can bring us to our knees. And so on Monday of the second week, we hear Jesus saying, don't judge and you won't be judged. He wants us to be as merciful as God is. The call to forgive our enemies, the call to be merciful is really big. You know, I have... I have... Uh, a friend who sometimes reminds me of how judgmental we can be while being trying to be good um, reminds me that that judgment is really the reverse side of trying to be good. The closer I get to the Lord, the more the evil spirit tempts me to be proud or to be arrogant and to judge others who aren't working as hard as I am, mm-hmm. uh, who aren't yeah. uh, haven't been given the gifts I've been given. So I look down on them. And in the search for holiness, I become harsh. And Jesus reminds us right off the bat, don't judge, and you won't be judged. You know, what he's saying here is a good way for us to go through Lent. Stop judging, stop condemning, forgive, give gifts, uh, and when you're measuring something out, as he was, I could picture this at a marketplace, you pick up your cloak and you measure grain into it, and you can fluff it up with air so it feels like there's a lot more grain in there, or you can pack it down and make sure you give them plenty. And that's what Jesus is saying. It, Being generous. Pack it together, shake it down, overflow it, because the same exact measuring cup that you are using in judging other people is the same one that's going to be judged in using our in judging ourselves. It's right. the same cup that's going and to be I used. And if I catch myself saying in my heart right now, 
you know, forgiving is hard. The longer <laughs> yes, it's it been is. there, I can say maybe that's what ought to be my Lenten project is to ask the Lord to forgive me, to make me conscious of his mercy to me so that I can become more grateful, more free, so that I can start to love others. The worst thing of all is what failing to forgive does to us. If anger is is stuck in me, it's like cancer. Anger simply ruins me and doesn't hurt the other person. I have heard that the inability to forgive is like taking rat poison and hoping the rat dies. That That's not how you do it. That only kills yourself. You and have to you, let go of this. You and if you smile at all about that, you know what, <laughs> what this is about. And so I can beg for that grace. We're not used to begging. I mean, maybe if a relative is very, very sick or someone we love is in trouble... We'll beg God for help, but to beg for ourselves that the Lord purify our heart and make us more forgiving is a great thing to do at this time early in Lent. And there's someone in all of our hearts that that needs our forgiveness, and this is what we can be really asking for, especially on this day. If we need to, pray the prayer of Daniel, who begs God to forgive Mercy and love are yours, O Lord. That's what you do. That's who you are. So please forgive us. Please look merciful upon us. Um, it's a great great way to pray during, uh, during Lent. On Tuesday, in the second week of Lent, we really start hearing the attack on hypocrisy and, and the many uh, faces that hypocrisy takes, if we can say it that way, avoiding religious hypocrisy particularly. And Isaiah is calling on, hear the word of the Lord, princes of Sodom, princes of Gomorrah. Everyone knows those were wicked and evil cities that were destroyed. So what he's doing is calling on his own nation, saying that it, the nation and the leaders are evil. And he is saying, listen to the instruction of our God. Wash yourselves clean. But there is a sense of consolation. Come, let us set things right, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they might be as white as snow. I mean, there is a way we can be renewed in all this. It doesn't matter what our sins look like. They can become white as snow. And that's the encouraging part because left alone, I think most of us don't look at our sinfulness because it seems negative and heavy and guilt-ridden, even shame-based. And the good news is that our God is a loving God and wants to free us. This is a gift. This isn't an obligation. This isn't uh, trying to make us feel bad. This is trying to help us so that we really do see the love. And so, you know, the scribes and Pharisees, have taken their seat, Jesus says, on the chair of Moses. Therefore, do and observe all things, whatever they tell you, but do not follow their example, for they preach, but they do not practice. This must have been an astonishing message for people to hear from Jesus because they thought of themselves as worthless and the only people who were holy were the scribes and Pharisees. The greatest among you must be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, 
but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. He is turning everything on its ear. He's changing the whole perspective of everything we think about holiness. And I, I... you know, it makes me think, how often do I forget what's really important? And I worry about how well am I coming across? How do I appear in all of this? And I forget it, what Jesus said. It's not the appearance of holiness. It is humility. That's the mark of his followers. The greatest among you must be your servant. No one leads like this. Exactly. And and on Wednesday, which is usually like Friday, more penitential day, we have the third of Jesus' predictions of his passion. Especially in Mark, this is part of the journey to Jerusalem. It's part of the way in which Jesus is healing the blindness of his disciples. The story began, we remember, with the healing of a blind man who couldn't see very well. And Jesus had to do it a second time. Things weren't clear. It's going to conclude in Jericho, right outside Jerusalem, when the fellow sees immediately and follows him on the road, Jesus is trying to heal the blindness of his disciples. So he tells them he's going to go to Jerusalem, and there he's going to die. But on the third day he'll be raised again. And he catches them arguing among themselves because... The mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, she's advocating for her sons that they can sit at his left and right when he comes into his glory. They're still imagining he's going there to be made king. He has just finished describing what's going to happen. You have to wonder at Jesus, did he shake his head and say, do they hear anything I'm saying? Are they covering their ears and not listening? (laughs) Are they just refusing? And before we're too harsh on them, no. That's exactly what we do. Right. Jesus has the message. If you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow me. You have to be this servant for others. And yet, week after week, we go to church. Week after week, we call ourselves Christian and spend a lot of time avoiding that journey to Jerusalem with him and the way he gives it to us. What it is to take up my cross, what it is for you to take up your cross is very different but it's and how our willingness. Many, how many times every day do I have the chance to take up my cross and I avoid it? I don't want to do that. This and, is the, and it's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, the, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over him. It shall not be that way among you. you. We're doing things differently. Whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. That's not the way things are done in, in Jesus' time or in ours. That's a Christian way of doing things, which is very different from what to our world says. To be his followers, says. to follow him. Yeah. And so that's why penance is so important during Lent. It's choosing to practice. Practice. Because we need help. If I want to get better at my golf swing, I have to practice. I have to go out on the driving range and practice. Get in a groove. I remember my dad saying all the time, if you get in a groove then it's easy to do it in reality when you need to do it. If we get in a groove during Lent of saying, I want to voluntarily embrace something that isn't um, something I prefer to do, so to practice sacrificing, 
to practice being free, then it's so easy for me to, in reality, be free and choose the good of another first. To be a servant. I can say, I'm not going to react to every insult. I'm not going to react to every, what I perceive as a snub of some kind. I'm going to free myself. That's what, that's my goal during Lent, perhaps. Or Imagine if during Lent I choose to say every day, in some way, big or small, I'm going to serve everyone in my family. I'm going to be servant here. Or with my friends. Or my neighbors. And the trick would be, not to let them realize what we're doing. <laughs> to do it willingly and freely and joyfully. Yeah. Then I'm practicing. It doesn't mean I'm good at it on day one or I find it easy. But he's saying, take up my cross. And I'm practicing taking up my cross. And that's what makes Lent so much fun, too, is this is a way in which I'm helping myself grow. Uh, my novice master, master said to us a long time ago you either grow or you die choosing to grow is is the only option that can make us happy and fulfilled and not always the easy way but it is the only way but the alternative is yeah. not to grow right not to grow and uh, to be stuck in the patterns we're in now and as much as that's easier it's not the path to happiness on that Wednesday, I just love the way this Jeremiah reading, it's like foretelling what's going on. Jeremiah, it's very moving. He's talking to God, saying he's being un- accused unfairly. And so he says that the uh, priests are saying, let us carefully note his every word. And it really feels exactly like the tone of the Gospels as it gets closer and closer to the crucifixion. And you feel like the the religious leaders are really starting to pick up the pace on their plotting and trapping him. Exactly. It's like a symphony yeah. where you start to hear this little theme. Uh, the oboes come up a little bit, and you get a theme that gives you a little warning, a little bit of a, a preview of the main theme of this story. And it's heavy because it's going to result in Jesus' death for us. Right. And when I can say for me, then it's not hard to look at. Looking at it helps me grow in gratitude. And then, of course, Thursday, another consoling day, as Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday often are, um, we have the wonderful gospel about a rich man who lives this wonderful life and a poor man named Lazarus who is in front of the guy's house and he never takes note of him. Um, it's such a vivid reading. It, he would lay in uh, out in front of the rich man's house begging for scraps from his table. Dogs even used to come and lick his sores. I mean, it's very vivid and kind of revolting. So then the the, the, the uh, poor man Lazarus dies, and the rich man can, you know, of course this is a parable, so you can do things in parables. He can look up and see, just see Lazarus there 
laying in the bosom of Abraham. Why didn't I know this earlier? Why couldn't I send Lazarus down to give me a little relief? Let him just put his fingertip in water and touch it to my tongue. (laughs) Because the rich man finds himself in fire, not in the bosom of Abraham. And so he wants help now. And of course, Abraham tells him, well, you know, there's a chasm between us. You're, you got a different reward. All of your life you had the blessings of a fine life. Now Lazarus, who didn't have anything, is here enjoying uh, the reward of his life. It's this turning of the tables again. It's a remarkable example of it. And so the fellow says, Well, send Lazarus to warn my brothers so that they won't mess up their lives. No, there's this big gap. Um, and they they have the law and the prophets that tell them this whole thing. If you really read it right, it's all there. And he says, but if somebody comes from the dead, uh, that'll sure get their attention. And no, if they don't listen, they won't be transformed even if somebody should rise from the dead. Because they have put all of their trust into the world. They aren't trusting, I say they, but it's we. We aren't trusting in God. We're trusting in the world. It's haunting because you and I know that somebody did rise from the dead and did warn us about all of these things. Warned us about the rewards of a, a life that's not for others. And we ignore that warning. So it's a chilling reminder sitting right here in the second week of Lent. You can imagine the catechumens and candidates in their school, their preparation, uh, catechesis for um, their journey to the font, being stunned by this reading as well. You know, this is, I think, an interesting way to pray with this particular day is to contemplate, what would I do if I were on my deathbed? What would I do? What, what, What would my life be like if I were playing it back? Would I be more like Lazarus? Would I be more like the rich man? Where have I... There's always that exercise you can do. Make a list of your top five priorities. Write them down. One, two, three, four, five. Well, it might be my family. It might be my friends, my work. Then you make a list of where you spend your time. Is it still one, two, three, four, five? Yeah, that's wonderful. Is that's it, revealing. Well, it really is, and it helps us set the scene for what this gospel really is about. Nobody wants to say my priority is the things of the world. Right. Nobody wants to say my priority is my own needs. But I can ask myself if that is way the way I spend my time, my energy, my choices. Um, it just is so good to reflect on this thing. And in a way that can help us change those priorities. Um, The first reading is uh, from Jeremiah. And he says, the Lord says, Cursed is the man who trusts in human beings, who seeks his strength in flesh, whose heart turns away from the Lord. And he compares them to uh, a bush that's barren because it's in the desert. And 
a tree that's planted beside water and stretches its roots out toward the water, it's always alive, it's always fresh, it's always renewed, and the assaults of nature don't affect it because it's nourished. And it's, it's such a beautiful, poetic reading, and the exact thing you just talked about, the tree planted besides the water, stretching out its roots, it's echoed in Psalm 1. He is like a tree planted near running water that yields its fruit in due season. That w- I think a tree that is alive and a tree that is shriveled is often an image that's used in, uh, in both Old and New Testaments. More torturous than all else is the human heart. Beyond remedy, who can understand it? The Lord alone probes the mind and tests the heart to reward everyone according to his ways, according to the merit of his deeds. This really is a time of discernment and um, and really an opportunity to grow that we don't have uh, throughout the year when we're too busy. This is a focused time in which we let God's grace come into our lives and change it. How many Lents have we had? 20, 30, 50, 70? This is a time to really let God transform our lives. That's kind of exciting, I think. The Friday readings as Fridays tend to be a little more penitential during Lent. It's about suffering and, and death. And it's uh, both Friday and Saturday we have stories about family jealousies. But there's a great... Uh, Which themselves are parables about yes. the, the prediction of the passion. You know, they don't get it straight on, but he tells um, the chief priests and the and the elders of the people, here's another parable. And he tells them a story about a landowner. And he plants a vineyard, puts a hedge around it to protect it, digs a wine press in it, and built a tower. So, you know, he leases it to tenants and then goes on a journey. And when vintage time draws near, he wants to come back and he wants some wine wants to collect his rent. So he sent his servants to the tenants to obtain his produce. It's very much like you and me. The Lord has given us life, allowed us to be baptized into Jesus, confirmed that with years of graces, nourished the faith, given us the mission to go out and proclaim the good news, and comes back periodically to find out how we're doing. That's that story. Of course, he's with us every day, every breath we take. But it's the story that helps us realize, do we kill his servants? Do we think somebody else has it a lot easier than we do? And Ultimately, these landowners kill his own son. Now, this is a biting indictment for the leaders of the Jewish people who killed the prophets, who came to help them with the covenant and now he sends his own son and he's rejected by the leaders and the Pharisees knew this I mean it even says in the gospel they knew he was speaking about them it just adds fuel to the fire of their anger and their fear about Jesus but it is the son of God is going to be killed that's exactly what this gospel is about and in the first reading we uh, see the story about Joseph and the coat of many colors, and his brother is, his brothers are all jealous. 
and it's it's a nice parallel because Joseph is sold off to the Ishmaelites to be a servant. They're kind of like the Palestinians. I mean, they're foreign people. And he's betrayed by his own family, his own insiders, just as Jesus will be. And, of course, we know the rest of that story where Joseph will become a leader in Egypt and he will be part of saving his brothers. But Jesus says... I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that will produce its fruit. That's all God wants is that we produce fruit, that we be so grateful that we become people who help liberate others, that we become people who announce the good news and are willing to suffer the rejection of others who don't want to receive it and accept it. And that's why... Strength training is important (laughs) during Lent. The ability to know what our mission is, know who we are, know what stuff gets in our way, know the unfreedoms and resistance, and to really develop strength to be disciples. Well, suffering and death are a part of all of our lives, but using the Christian context for it gives it a meaning. It gives it a support for us, too. And... It brings us closer to the sufferings of Jesus. It brings us closer to those people who suffer so much. Jesus doesn't talk about the suffering of the rich. He talks about the suffering of the poor and the outcast. We're getting the best of uh, readings that are prepared for the catechumens and candidates. On Saturday, the gospel we have is one of the great gospels in Luke chapter 15. Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners, and, of course, they're gathered around him. He's their Savior. He's offering them forgiveness, and it's the Pharisees and the scribes who are complaining about what he's doing. And so he tells them uh, really three parables. Uh, This is the third one. Uh, The first one is, is the story about the lost sheep. Uh, He's got a hundred sheep, and one of them goes, wouldn't he leave the 99 and go out and find it? And when he finds it, wouldn't he call everybody together to celebrate? My sheep is back. Or um, the woman with the gold coin loses a coin in her house. Isn't she going to sweep the whole house and look everywhere just to find that coin? And when she finds it? She's going to celebrate. Exactly. Well, this is a story about a father who has two sons, and uh, neither of them are very nice kids. Uh, <laughs> That's an interesting way to put it, but it's the, true. The younger son basically has become selfish beyond belief. Imagine a son saying to a father, I want my inheritance now. I can't wait till you're dead. Give me half of what you own now because I want it. And this loving father does it. He gives him half of the inheritance. Imagine losing a son that way. It is as though he died. And then he leaves, and he is gone. He is no longer a part of that man's life. He, he just squanders leaves. it on loose living, and now he's broke, saying he's sorry, he feels bad. Uh, He's working on a farm 
with living pigs. with pigs, which for the Jewish community would be so revolting. And he's he's hit bottom, and he says, "Wow, I I'd do better being one of my father's servants. Uh, they're eating better than I am now. So I'll go back and and I'll, and I'll say I'm sorry and I'll beg to have a place back in in my father's house." And so he goes there, and as he gets close, his father is looking for his return. It's a powerful image of God's love for us. God is looking for our return during this Lent. Whatever we've squandered, whatever we've taken for granted, however we found ourselves living, he's looking for us to return. And of course, when he, now... The scribes and Pharisees are listening to this story. And I imagine the prostitutes and former prostitutes and tax collectors and other sinners are sitting at the table smiling like you wouldn't believe because he's talking about them. Here's the return, the celebration. Because they're sitting there with the scribes and Pharisees saying that they're not worth Jesus's attention. Why would you bother with these people? They're sinners. They're tax collectors. They're prostitutes. And he's defending why it's worth being with them because God loves them. And we get to the next part of the story, which is much more directly aimed at the scribes and Pharisees. Because the father puts on a big celebration. Put a robe on him. Give him a ring. Uh, You're not going to be a servant. You are my son. And go kill the fatted calf. Wow. We got a, a calf that they've been feeding and feeding and feeding to have a feast and here it is well they go in and start partying because the son's back the one that was lost has been found and the partying begins but the older son he's kind of a bad kid too he won't come in to celebrate complaining that I've worked hard all along this is that self-righteousness I've worked hard hard all along, and you didn't have a party for me and my friends. And he says, son, you're always with me. Of course, everything I have is yours. He's going to get everything the father has left in the inheritance. This son of yours was lost and has been found. Come in and celebrate. And I can imagine Jesus telling this story and looking at the scribes and Pharisees who won't come into the house and celebrate that these sinners have been renewed and loved and saved Um, even the tone the Pharisees and scribes began to complain you can almost hear them whining about it and it's the same kind of exact same tone that the older brother well what's going on well why so when you and I are tempted to judge to discount to be almost uh, self-righteous This is a wonderful parable to remember. And when we've got people in our family, our relatives, our neighbors and friends who need reconciliation, um, this gospel can help us fast from the remaining desire to punish them, the remaining desire to keep them away, Because God forgives them, we can forgive them and celebrate that forgiveness. It's 
takes a lot of purification to get here. And I think we can also sometimes get stuck with a sense of our own unworthiness. I'll never be able to change. I'll never be able to stop that pattern. I'm a worthless person. I can't be forgiven. And I think right here we can picture the father out on the road with his hands cupped over his eyes, staring down the road, waiting for us to come up. He's been waiting and waiting for us and is just standing there with open arms, waiting for us to walk, take the first step toward him. Because that's all that it takes is for us to take the step toward the Father. Whatever our brand of sinfulness is, whether it's squandering our gifts, rejecting God's love in some way, rejecting our mission to love the way he's loved us. This is a week in which we can let ourselves feel the love of that Father and the encouragement of the Lord who's transfigured to show us it's all about a different kind of glory and it's a promise that we can be with him in it. So this is a great week to renew our patterns, to think about the ways we can... uh, we can pull this together in the second week and prepare for the wonderful weeks ahead. And how we can begin and renew our Lent again starting today. Thank you for joining us.